a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet, his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Well, good morning. Glad you guys are here this morning. If you don't know who I am, my name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're joining us online this morning, we're glad you're joining us this morning. Uh, hope you guys are all having an awesome Memorial Day weekend, uh, whatever that looks like for you. And before we can go into the sermon, I, I want to take a moment and say uh, thank you to Larry for preaching last week. Could we, could we give him a round of applause to tell him thank you last week? Thank you, man. If you don't know Larry, you should get to know Larry. He, is, he and his wife both are just gifts. They're just such a gift to us and to our family. And so uh, incredible people. Um, there is a unique kind of disappointment that comes when you were expecting something to be amazing and it just turns out to be good. Like, like clearly everyone's disappointed when something expected to be amazing and then it's like not amazing. It's bad. It's miserable. It's horrible. But when you're expecting something to be amazing, and then it's just like, nah. Like that, that's a unique kind of disappointment. For me, for me, it happens every single week. I, I have this experience every single week, uh, which you think I learned. And, and my disappointment comes every single week in crumble cookie. Do you guys know crumble cookie? Right? Crumble cookie, every single Sunday, you may not know this, every single Sunday at 5 p.m. on the dot, Pacific time zone, Every single Sunday, they release a new lineup of cookies, of cookies. They sell six cookies a week. They always have their chocolate chip cookie. Most of the time, they have their classic pink sugar cookie. Sometimes they trade it out. Sometimes they have mystery cookie. And then most weeks, they have four new cookies every single week. They, they kind of rotate through. And every single week, at 5 o'clock on Sunday, they release their lineup. And every single week, at 5 o'clock on Sunday, I go and look at their lineup. And every single week I go, oh, this is the week. That is awesome, right? This week, here, let me show you. Now, you can't get this cookie anymore because they're closed on Sundays, okay? Not just Chick-fil-A, okay? They're closed on Sundays, and they're going to release a new lineup at 5 o'clock today. You should be watching for it. It's going to be a great anticipation of a week to come, right? 
This is one of the cookies they had this week, dirt cake. If you've ever seen a uh, crumble cookie in real life, not the catered ones, like the real ones, they're about this big, okay? They're huge cookies. But here's, here's the good news, okay? I'm going to give you good news. I, I cropped it out here so that we didn't feel bad about having to talk about it, is that on all of them, they list the calories, have you seen this on their website? They list the calories. Here's the great news about them. If you go and look, like this one was like 226 calories. And then there's a little asterisk, and you go to look at what the asterisk means, and it says, each cookie is six serving sizes. <laughs> and you're like, well, I'm not good at reading asterisks, so I'm just counting 226 calories. That's all it counts for me. It's 226 calories. Look at it. Okay, so this cookie, okay, um, it says this. Let me read the description. This is what gets me every time is a description. It says this. A chocolate cookie coated in cookies and cream crumbs and topped with fudge chocolate frosting, crunchy chocolate streusels, and topped with a gummy worm. I'm like, that is a cookie I'm going to have. And then I go to Crumble Cookie, and I get my little pink box of four cookies, and I bite into it, and I go, nah. Like, it's not bad, right? Crumble cookies aren't bad, but, but, but I mean, I was expecting, like, like life-changing. I mean, just, it's good. It's good. It's a weird kind of disappointment because it's still good. Like, it's still a good thing, but we were expecting great, right? Maybe you've gone on a trip. You've gone on vacation. You planned it. You, you were all excited to go see this monument, to go see this natural thing, and you're like, this is going to be amazing, and you get there, and it's like, good, but like, I kind of expected amazing. Like, I expected like an aha moment when I stood at the edge of this thing and saw this glorious thing. I, I did some research and I looked up um, some of the most disappointing places to visit, okay? Now, it turns out that of all the ones that I found, all three of them I'm going to show you are actually all from Paris, which might say something about Paris. It may just be the most disappointing city in the world. Okay, so the first one, maybe in your life, you've imagined, I'd love to go see the Eiffel Tower, right? Massive, huge, 600-some feet tall, or whatever it is, huge thing, 1,600 feet tall, whatever the thing is, okay? Massive. And it shows this, right? And you, you're looking, and you're looking at your, your, uh, your travel books, and you're researching, and you see this picture. And you're like, oh, how romantic. We're going to go sit in the grass in Paris at the Eiffel Tower and have a picnic together. It's going to be glorious and beautiful. Let me show you a picture someone took from the exact same spot. You ready? Here it is. It's very intimate. You and 7,000 of your closest friends, right? There's a kind of disappointment that comes when you realize, like, <laughs> this ain't it. Um, the Mona Lisa. Maybe you're into art, and at some point in your life, you'd love to go see the Mona Lisa, right? And you, you see all these pictures of it, and you're like, oh, look, the Mona Lisa displayed in the Louvre. Isn't it beautiful? Wouldn't it be great to go to the Louvre someday and see the Mona Lisa? And then you see a picture someone actually takes from the lobby, and it looks like this. And you're fighting over people holding up their cameras to try and get a picture of a tiny little picture that is behind three inches of solid plastic wall. You're like, it's not what I, I mean, it's good. It's the Mona Lisa. I'm in the Louvre, but it's, 
here's the last one. There's a place, I never heard of it until I started doing this. Um, it ranked on all the places that I found as one of the most disappointing places to go. Um, it's called the Hall of Mirrors. I don't know how well this picture shows it with the way you're seeing it. It looks magnificent. Mirrors and glass. Every, I mean, it is just gorgeous. In the middle here, there's, I don't know whose it is, but there's like this reddish purple um, throne sitting in the middle of the room. Probably someone important sat on that throne. Who knows, right? And, and you think like, oh, I'm going to go to the Hall of Mirrors, and this would be amazing. And then here, let me show you an actual picture from the Hall of Mirrors. It looks like a flea market, Right? It's nuts. In fact, during first service, we had some people that had just actually been to the Hall of Mirrors about a month ago. And when I put this picture up, they're like, reality. (laughs) And you have this, there's a certain kind of disappointment, not when things are bad, but when you expected things to be great and they're just good. Like, and maybe you've experienced this in other places, maybe not a vacation or traveling someplace. Maybe um, you experienced it with a job. Right? You thought, oh, you saw this job post and you thought, this job is going to be amazing. It's the best job I could ever have. It's exactly what I want to do. The benefits and the pay are amazing. This is going to be so good. And you get to the job and you're like, it's the same job I was doing before. It's not bad. It's just not what I thought it was going to be. Maybe it is a vacation. Maybe, maybe, it's, a, maybe it's a relationship. Right? You think, if I can heal this relationship, if I can have a relationship, a boyfriend or girlfriend, or I can get married, like if I get married, everything will be amazing and I'll never be lonely again. You get there and you're like, it's good, but I kind of thought there'd be more than this. Maybe it's, maybe it's having kids. You think, the moment in my life when I can have kids, it's going to be amazing. And it's good, but it's a certain kind of, maybe it's, maybe for some of you, maybe you've already lived through this, maybe it's becoming an empty nester. You had kids and you're like, oh, having kids was a dumb idea. When they leave, this will be amazing, right? The moment that they can all leave, it's going to be such a glorious day and maybe it's good. But it's not, there's a weird kind of disappointment because it's still good. It's just not what we'd hoped. Maybe for you, it's a vision of retirement. You're like, there's going to come a day and I'm going to retire and I'm going to golf every day and it's always going to be sunny and I have to disappoint you because you live in Oregon. And you get to retirement and you're like, this is good, but this ain't it. This ain't it. It's a weird kind of disappointment. The story of the Jewish people, the the writer of Hebrews is writing to a Jewish audience. And the story of the Jewish people could be told in just a journey of recognizing this ain't it. This ain't it. I thought it was going to be amazing. I thought it was going to be the end. I thought it was going to be the destination. And they get there and go, this, this, This ain't it. And wrestling with the tension of what you do when you think you were headed to the destination. And it turns out, it may even be good. It's just not, it's not great. There's, um, way back in the beginning, 
right? Abraham, God are having a conversation. And, and God says to Abraham, he says these words in Genesis 13, right? It is like right at the front end. Genesis 13, he says this. For the land which you see, this is God talking to Abraham, the land which you see, I will give to you and to your descendants forever. This is like a Lion King moment, right? All that the sun touches, the light touches, will be yours, right? And Abraham's like, whoa, <laughs> You can, you, can, you can even hear the confidence in this promise of God in what we call this land. You remember what we call this? We call it the promised land. It's not the hoped for land. It's not the maybe we'll get there eventually land. It's not the we settled for this because real estate was inexpensive land. It's not the we got lost and ended up here land. It is the promised land. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, the hope that held the Jewish people together was the promised land. God made us a promise. Did you hear about it? Genesis 13, God made us a promise. We're going there. I've never seen it, but I heard about it. And have you heard about it? It flows with milk and honey. That feels very sticky and messy, but it's glorious. I mean, it is a beautiful, amazing, majestic land. Have you heard the stories about Eden? It's going to be like Eden all over again. We're all going to live in abundance and beauty and goodness. God's going to restore everything. We just have to get to the promised land. And for over 100 generations, the Jewish people held on to this promise. God, you said you're going to give us this land. We're going to get there. We're going to get to the promised land. And you know the story, right? They're enslaved in Egypt. God hears their cries, 10 plagues. He takes them out. He brings them to the Red Sea. He parts the Red Sea. He brings them across. He takes them into the wilderness. He goes to give them the Ten Commandments, right? They worship idols. Moses smashes the Ten Commandments. God gives them new Ten Commandments. God leads them up to the edge of the promised land. This right here, right? God said, I'm going to give you, this is the place. And you remember what they say? <laughs> um, we'd rather die in Egypt profound weird twist that happens so god lets them he lets them wander around in the wilderness and the next generation comes to the edge of the river and can you imagine can you imagine the wait and anticipation over a hundred generations had waited for this moment generation after generation had never even seen this land but it was what sustained them we are the people that god has promised this place to this is where we're going we are people who will Inhabit the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey and goodness and beauty and life. And I wonder, I wonder how long it took them. When they walk across the Jordan, God stopped the river, this miraculous, crazy um, miracle that they're seeing. They're walking across a bank of an actively flowing river that is stopped up and dry. And I wonder just the astounding, overwhelming emotions they must have felt the first time that they put their sandal on the west of the Jordan and thought the weight of generation after generation, we've made it. We're here! We're in the promised land! And I wonder, I wonder how long it took. Days? Weeks? Maybe months, right? And then someone's dog dies. And, and, and they go out to work a field and there's weeds 
in the field. There's thistles and there's thorns and there's, there's rocks. I wonder how long it took them to begin to go. Wait, um, I thought this was where we were going. I thought this was it. This is what we've waited for for hundreds of years. For longer than our nation has existed, they'd waited with hope and anticipation if we could just get there. And how long it takes them before they realize, this is good, but this ain't it. And there are wars, and there's death, and there's disease, and children die, and, 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 and violence breaks out, and, and leaders fail. And they begin to have to ask, like, I thought this was it. And the realization they come that this, this ain't it. So their hearts shift, their focus begins to shift because they, they feel this thing in them that God's leading them to a place. He's leading to them uh, what the writer calls to a place of rest. But this ain't it. So their hope begins to kind of trust in these heroes. It's, it's, it's the book of Judges. And if you've read the book of Judges, the book of Judges is successively worse and worse leaders. Right? Like the first leaders start like pretty good. By the end of the book of Judges, they are very bad. The book of Judges is a realization that great leadership, this, this, this ain't it. So the people, they, they go, um, well, you know what? You know what would fix this is um, uh, what if we had a king? What if we had a king, right? right? What, what are we establishing here? We're establishing the kingdom of God. And what's a kingdom without a king? I bet if we had a king, if we had a king who loved God, He'd be great. He'd be amazing. He'd be a benevolent king. He'd lead us. He'd have structure. He'd protect us. He'd shelter us. It'd be amazing. And maybe if we had a king, (laughs) and their first king is a guy named Saul, which if you're not familiar with the Bible, anybody named Saul is a bad guy. Goes bad. Goes bad quickly. David I mean, David, David is like the, the icon of what it means to be a great king. And still, David was a busted and failed leader. In fact, there's one point in time where, God, where David asked God, he wants to build the temple for God. He wants to build a permanent place for God. And you know what God says to him? He says, no. He says, there's too much blood on your hands. Even, even King David was a man of violence. And you have Samuel and successive kings that come and everything fractures and the people begin to go, maybe, maybe a king, maybe that's not it. And that weird disappointment of like, there's some good things that come. It's maybe even a good moment and a good season, but it's not great. It's not what I thought it'd be. So the Jewish mind begins to shift. Jewish culture begins to shift and they begin to develop this messianic hope is really the center of their culture. You have prophets who speak of it. They'll, they'll come this prophet and, and he'll be greater than David. He'll sit on the throne of David. There'll be this Messiah that will come. And then this is, this is the world that the disciples grow up in. And, and they've grown up with this anticipation, this confidence, this hope that a Messiah is going to come and he's going to fix it all. It's going to be awesome. He's going to kick out the Romans. He's going to restore the promised land. He's going to build Eden. It's going to be so good. Everything's going to be right. And then... He dies, and there's still death, and there's still brokenness, and there's still thorns and thistles in the fields, and there's still disease and heartbreak. 
He raises from the dead, and it's like he rose from the dead. He conquered death. And then we have Pentecost, right? And if you know anything about Pentecost, it's, it's the moment when the Holy Spirit, when God himself dwells in his church, he dwells amongst us. That's amazing. That's so good. That's awesome. And yet, you know what happens after Pentecost? Violent persecution so much that the church is scattered all throughout the Roman Empire. You have to think that these Jewish Christians must have been thinking, I thought this was it. Like, I thought the Messiah would fix this all. I thought that Jesus coming, dying on the cross, raising from the dead, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, that like, it'd all be good. It'll be right, and yet, they walk through a world where they lose their jobs because of their faith. They're arrested and beaten because of their faith. They're ostracized from community. They're kicked out of their family because of their faith. And the writer of Hebrews is writing to a bunch of really tired Christians who, who are wrestling with the disappointment of, I thought, I thought that this would fix it all. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to echo what Joshua says to the people as soon as they walk in the promised land. He's trying to tell them this. This ain't it. This ain't it. He says this um, in Hebrews verse 8. He reminds them, echoes back to the words of Joshua, and he says, for if Joshua had given them rest, right? If Joshua had taken them to the destination, if he'd taken them to the finish line, he would not have spoken of another day after that. He's reminding them that even as Jewish people, they know the story, that as soon as they step into the promised land, Joshua begins to warn the people and say, hey, 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 hey. this is good, and this is awesome, and there's so many beautiful things to savor in this place. But this is not the end. This ain't it. And he's trying to remind the people that even in the midst of good things, in a land flowing with milk and honey, that we live in a world so marred by sin and brokenness and death that we, we prepare ourselves that even in the midst of good things to remember that this ain't it. He reminds the, the, the people he's writing to. He says this in verse 9. He's trying to tell them. He's trying to be Joshua to them. And he's telling them this. Look, 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 look. Remember. It remains, which means it's not here yet. A Sabbath rest remains. This ain't it. You see, the problem is, is that in the good moments, when everything's awesome, when the land is flowing with milk and honey, the struggle is, the wrestling, the temptation of our heart it's to believe that the good things of this life, that this life, that this is it. Then what it begins to do is it begins to draw our hearts and our affections and, and our protection and our security from the things of God rather than of God. We begin to, be, to make idols out of the good things in our life, and they are good things. There are good things in this life. There should be times in your life where you savor. There should be times in your life where you honor the goodness of our Father by celebrating and savoring the goodness of his blessings on your life. There is nothing unchristian about savoring his goodness and saying, oh, this is an amazing steak. This is an awesome vacation. We honor the goodness of our Father who is so generous to us. But we have to remember, even in the good moments when the land is flowing with milk and honey, this ain't it. 
Because the great risk to our heart is that we begin to idolize those things, thinking, here's a way that I like to say it, is we begin to look to the hand of God for the things he can give us rather than the face of God for his presence in our life. And when we begin to search out for the things, for the hand of God, for the things of God, even the good things of God can become idols that distract us from the life that is in God and his presence. But as much or more than that, he's trying to remind the Jewish audience, and in the same way that he does, that he plays Joshua and tells them, hey, this isn't it. I want to try and remind us today that this ain't it. That, that when we experience hardship, when we experience pain, when we experience loss, when we, when we experience a world of disease and death and we go out into the field and there's still thistles and thorns and rocks and animals that come and destroy our fields and our lives, this ain't it. This ain't it. This last, well, just yesterday, we as a church community were reminded, for many of us, that this ain't it. That this side of heaven, there remains a rest for us. This side of heaven, it's not all done. This side of heaven, we will experience death and decay and brokenness and heartache and pain. Just yesterday, for those of you guys who know him, just yesterday, this man, his name is Stan Peterson, passed away. Um, Stan served this church faithfully for over two decades. He gave everything he had to making sure that people knew that God loved him, loved them. There's an old proverb, and it says this. It says, that, um, it says that a great society is a place where men plant trees that they will never sit in the shade of. And I think, when I think about Stan, it's a, it's a proverb that I think is so true of his life. What many don't know is that because of his life, because of his service, because of his love for Jesus and for people, there are in Nairobi, Kenya, in the slums of Nairobi, Kenya, there are tens of thousands of children who are receiving education, who are receiving food, and many of them are sheltered because of this, this man. What many people don't realize is that even diagnosed with a terminal illness, just a couple months ago, he was soliciting some people, and he himself, single-handedly, without any Facebook notoriety, without anything on Instagram, without most anybody outside of just a couple people on staff even knowing this, he single-handedly raised $110,000 to be able to buy a well-drilling truck for an organization that works in East Africa. Which means, here's the crazy thing. Which means that for generations, there will be people that will drink clean water who never this man. But there are times in our life where we're reminded, like, this ain't it. You know what this is? This is, this is a shadow. There's some good things, and here's what I want to hope. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that in the good things... In, in the life-giving things, in the God-honoring things, that you savor those things, that you celebrate those things, and you thank God for them, but you remember that this ain't it. And today, if you're going through heartache and pain and loss and disease and even death, that you'd remember 
This ain't it. The writer of Hebrews ends this little section this way. He says this, Hebrews 4, verse 10, he says, For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work just as God did from his. At the beginning of Hebrews 4, he references the fact that on the seventh day, God rested. And so you should ask yourself, if you haven't thought about this, why would God rest? Was he tired? Like six days work? He's like, whoo! Oh, that's plenty. My back, oh! Right? Need some orthotics. No. The reason God rested, Scripture tells us, is because after six days, all of creation was good and right. And here's the promise, the hope of our faith. The promise and hope of our faith is that one day we will be able to join him in that rest because one day he will make all things good and right. But that day's not yet. This ain't it. And so I hope that us as a church, as followers of Jesus, that in the good moments, in the life-giving moments, in the beautiful moments, we would celebrate well. But I hope that as a church that we also would have the confidence in this assurance of our faith that there remains a rest, that one day, that one day, not today, but one day God's going to make all things right. He's going to make all things good. And so when we traverse through thorns and thistles, through heartache and pain, that we may be a people that weep well, that lament, that sometimes even say angry prayers at God, knowing that one day he will make all things right.